0: In the first reading, we hear about the people's return to Judah after the exile was marred by economic and political troubles. Nevertheless, the prophet declares Jerusalem and Judah will be restored. God will rejoice over Jerusalem as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, and the people are called to the celebration. The first reading is from Isaiah, the 62nd chapter For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmody for today is Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The congregation at Corinth experienced division as people were comparing one another's spiritual gifts, thinking some to be superior to others. Paul invites this fractured community to trust that God's Holy Spirit has gifted them all, perfectly for their mission together. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, They believed in Him. The Gospel of our Lord. Years ago when Johnny Carson was the host of The Tonight Show, one of those shows he interviewed an 8-year-old boy. The reason he interviewed the 8-year-old boy is because this 8-year-old um, had rescued two of his friends that had been trapped in a coal mine outside his hometown in Virginia. And so he was kind of a celebrity in that town and he appeared on the show. He got there and Johnny Carson starts talking to the boy and starts asking some simple questions. They start exchanging. And before you know it, Johnny Carson had the kid kind of relaxed, you know, he just he had, had a gift with that. And um, in this opening little interaction, it became apparent for to him and everybody that was there that this young man was a Christian. Some of his answers just disclosed that he was a believer. And so Johnny asked him, he, he said, well, do you attend Sunday school? The boy said, yes, sir, I do. Then Carson inquired, and what are you learning in Sunday school? Well, last week came the reply. Our lesson was about when Jesus went to a wedding and He turned water into wine. Well, the audience was breaking out with laughter. You know how simple it is that Carson can make them laugh over something like that. And as though he always did, he tried to keep that... He, he, he kind of let you know he was laughing inside, but he wasn't. He was, had he, he, he his face. And anyway... When he was done with that straight face looking kind of thing that he would do, he asked, and what did you learn from that story? Well, the boy kind of squirmed in his chair at this point, and he looked down. It was apparent he had never thought about that question. But then after a moment's pause, he lifted up his face, and like a school child who was like confident in their answer, he said to Johnny Carson, he said, if you're going to have a wedding... Make sure you invite Jesus. <laughs> and again, the audience broke out with laughter, but this time it was a slightly different kind of laughter. It was a laughter that kind of said, this boy's on to something more than just that answer. At the wedding, which Jesus was invited to attend in Cana of Galilee, there was a great celebration. Weddings are Two families were coming together. A man and a woman were delighting in love for each other and hope for their future. The celebration with family and community had been joyful probably for some days. But a problem they could not overcome developed. Their wine ran out. Now they can't, like us, just say, oh, we need wine and drive down to the store and come back with a pickup load. You have to grow the grapes. You have to press it. You have to let it ferment. You have to bottle it. You have to do all those things. They didn't have access. So this was a social embarrassment that they couldn't get out. Catastrophic. They were too poor, is what was being discovered. They were too poor to properly provide food. For their guests. It was also a symbol. For a wedding to run out of wine was like an omen that there was little chance that this particular marriage would reach its full potential of the fullness of family and children and children's children and children. Running out of wine was an omen that may be blessing and joy. Well, it was not meant for this couple. Somehow Mary learns of this problem. Mary approaches Jesus. A mother spoke simply and honestly and expectantly to her son. They have no wine. Woman, what concern is that to you, to me? My hour has not yet come. Now, when you read or hear this lesson in the future, remember a couple of things. You've heard this every couple, three years now for probably many years in your life. But going forward, try to remember a few things. One, that according to John's Gospel, Jesus at this time had not performed not even a single miracle. He was about 30 years old. He had just gathered His disciples together, the baptism piece, and He he hadn't even started. He knows that if He performs a miracle that a clock is going to start ticking. It's like you just push the start on the timer, that that clock's ticking, and it's not going to stop until He's nailed to the cross outside of Jerusalem. As soon as He does something miraculous, word is going to get out. Crowds are going to start to flock towards Him. Investigators from powerful places are going to be dispatched to observe Him and verify Him. Is this the appropriate moment? to start His mission clock? Is this going to leave to the crowds rising up and the authorities pouncing and trying to take my life before that day in Jerusalem that's been assigned by even the stars? Still, the need for a poor wedding family is real. Mary saw it. And Jesus saw it. Still an opportunity to transform despair and shame and a dark looming omen was real. Mary saw it. Jesus saw it. With compassion, love, and divine power, then God in Jesus chose to act. He chose to supply the very best wine for the poor. He transforms despair, shame, and dark omens into wedding joy and blessing. And that whole last paragraph was not meant simply for the wedding. It's meant for all people. There's more. The wine Jesus provides... Comes from huge 30 gallon jugs that were full of water. Actually, at this point, they were somewhat, some of them were a little bit diminished of water. These large clay vessels held water that was to be used by faithful, observant Jews to fulfill old legal ceremonial washing. Even people in a week-long wedding celebration, they had to honor the burdensome rituals of cleansing. That's why some of them were not completely full. They had been doing ritual washing since the beginning of their wedding ceremonies. Just think about this. Jesus, perhaps, with a twinkle in His eyes, He's looking at those. He's looking. He knows what He's about to do. He transforms six jugs of water, symbols of the old way of cleansing, he transforms them into 30-gallon jugs of the New Covenant wine and an eternal cleansing. And they don't get it. They're not going to get that until after He establishes the Lord's Supper, goes to the cross, has His resurrection and ascension. Only then would they come to understand fully all the symbolism and the reality that he started with one miracle in Cana of Galilee. Now, while his miracle to this wedding couple and families was good, it was good for the community, it was good for everybody there. While the beginning of this new era of God's covenantal grace is established by Jesus in this first miracle, there's more. And this one goes long in history and wide in in geography. Consider a big picture. At this time in history, people of God have been around as a tribe or as a nation for about 2,000 years. Think and picture of all the challenging things. And as I pictured this myself, I thought of a roller coaster starting with God at time and going down and sometimes coming back up towards God a little bit, but then sinking down and the slow path in time of diminishing hope and diminishing hope and diminishing hope. So think about this. A high point. The beginnings with Abraham and Sarah and a promise of numbers of people and, and land, a place to call home, a land. Then there's Isaac and Jacob. And then they sell out to Joseph. His brothers betrayed him and sell him out. He goes to Egypt. And thereafter, some blessing with him comes years, hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. And then out of that comes Moses, a little bit of a rise. But out of Moses comes a decline because the people are knuckleheads. They just are. They're not grateful. They're not obedient. They're just short-thinking, bad backbiting complaining people and it goes down 40 years in the wilderness they come out of that they get in the promised land a little bit of bump up and they get the land for one book in Joshua it goes well they they're obedient but there's hints that there wasn't because Joshua says you need to let go of the gods at the end so there's a hint that they wasn't all quite together but then from there after Joshua there's a rise of kings and Saul and David and Solomon but that doesn't end well they have all the work of the prophets throughout this, and that's not always going well. At the end of Solomon's thing, if the kings were so well, but the, divide, the kingdom divided. As soon as Solomon's son, and then it, 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 there was a north and a south. That's diminishing. After that, there's Babylonian captivity. There's a return from captivity and a rebuilding of Jerusalem only to have it wrecked again. Alexander the Great comes rolling in with the Greeks and they, they conquer the whole place. And then after that comes Romans. They've conquering and now they're taxing like never before. So their culture has been attacked by Greek thinking and now their culture's being attacked by Roman um, taxations and oppressions. Think about how low the people were at the end of these years. The people of God are in bondage in ways that it's hard for Americans to even imagine. Fear for their daily living. Hopeless. They're in bondage to sin. They can't free themselves. They're in bondage to foreign armies. They can't free themselves. They're experiencing a poverty and a shame, difficult, dark times like it's hard for us to imagine. They are in desperate need for God and for hope and for restoration far deeper than that wedding couple running out of wine. And to a poor wedding family, and for the whole Israelite people, the wine has run out. The wine ran out. And, and into this family's poverty and into this people's desperate, shameful place, the promised Messiah has come. Christ Jesus has come. And His coming was good in ways that the wedding couple was just barely scratching the surface of the goodness of this. Jesus is going to provide over these next years and for all eternity. He is going to provide for their every need. They needed wine, they got wine. He's going to fill their cups in ways that they can't imagine. He's going to heal bodies. He's going to restore people in ways that they needed. He's going to tell the the demonic spirits, be quiet and go away. He's going to defeat sin on the cross. He's going to feed devil out of the grave. He's going to affirm their being his bride. And he is their God. He establishes an eternal home. He promises us that home. He promised them. He promised all people who believe in Him. I have prepared a place for you, and I'm going to pre- that place, and I'm going to make sure it's ready for you, and I'm going to take you to that place when the time is right. the The hardship of this world will end up in a blessed place, and He gives freedom, and He gives hope, and healing, forgiveness, love, and eternal life—the things that we need most desperately for all times. And he starts that at a wedding in Cana. Johnny Carson said, "What did you learn in Sunday school?" Last week, the boy said, "A lesson was about when Jesus went to a wedding and there he turned water into wine." Johnny said, "And what did you learn from that story?" The boy we lift up his face and he said, if you're going to have a wedding, make sure you invite Jesus. This is the third week in Epiphany. The revealing of God for us. Friends, with the revelation we've received from the Christ child's announcement to the Christ child's birth, to the the shepherds finding him, to the magi finding him, to his baptism being revealed as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one place, one time, going out and then starting ministry, till right now, his very first ministry, the healing of a human family. Men and women, and then all of the face of earth, his whole human family. Friends, make sure we invite Jesus. Invite Jesus into our hearts, our souls, our everyday living, continuously. And let the family see Jesus in you. Invite Jesus into the goals. In fact, not just invite Him into the goals, make Jesus the goal. Make Jesus the dream, the plan, the daily living. And let the world see Jesus in us. Much has been revealed and entrusted to us we are His church. Not just this season, this season. Your whole lives. You've been hearing of the good news most of your lives. Much has been entrusted to you. So be the church. Invite Him. And help others do the same thing. Amen.
2: To God who welcomes all in love, let us pray for the good of the church and the concerns of those in need. Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for your great goodness in sending your son Jesus. We give thanks for his presence among us today and for revealing his glory and presence at the first miracle at the wedding feast in Cana. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Lord, you call us to work, to live, and to love together as parts of one body. We thank you for blessing and giving each of us many spiritual gifts and abilities that make each of us unique and different. As members of one body, you remind us that all gifts are needed. Unite us and help us share what makes us special to build each other up, to serve each other in love, and to make you known. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of compassion, there is nothing that can separate us from your love. We ask that you continue to bring your healing touch to the sick and suffering. Today we remember Jeff, Mary, Lori, Jody, Bill, Bob, Carol, Jack, Dallas, Herb and Christina, Robert and Charlotte, Linda, Herb, Greg, Rachel, Marcy, and the family and friends of Mike Fatke and those we name in our hearts. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Blessed Savior, you have made your church to be the home of all people. There is someone who needs us this week. They need our hope in you, our faith in you, our love by you. Put their name and face into our minds and hearts now. Reach out to them through us. Maybe you will surprise us with a friend or stranger who is in need of a new relationship with you. Either way, work through us to bring them home to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.
1: We offer up these and all other prayers which are upon our minds and hearts. Accept these prayers of your children, In the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with You in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.